Yo, yo, yo. Uh, we're welcoming uh, my boy Justice to another episode of The Real World. Uh, this is a guy that I've been friends with for a good 20 years. Um, he's always been one of those dudes that's the, the class clown, life at a party, even though he doesn't necessarily go out and party. Um, always has grand ideas. But one of the reasons I wanted to bring him on was to kind of talk about something that was kind of hitting home to us. We've been watching this special uh, kind of on Khalif Browder. And he experienced something that was similar to that. So I'm going to give him the chance to introduce himself, give him his story, and then we'll kind of discuss. Just, what's going on, bro? Ain't not too much. What's up, man? So uh, obviously, um, the backstory on Khalif Browder is that he was somebody that was arrested, uh, stuck in Rikers for three years. He never got a trial. Um, it was a situation where basically the, the court system kind of played him. Uh, he spent three years of his life in jail. Ended up spending two years of his life in solitary confinement and drove him crazy. When he finally got out of jail, um, he decided to, you know, kind of take his own life after years just of being so paranoid. So, uh, you mind, you know, discussing the story and kind of give people a background of what happened and what you went through. And let's go from there. I'm going to go off of what I learned from his story Um, when I first uh, read up on it. You know, I I pretty much, it, it almost rung a little bell because... What happened to him happens to a lot of our um, uh, our black youth um, inside of the system. And I, I don't think people know what really goes on once they put their handcuffs on you and um, how much of your freedom that's taken away. And um, looking at his story and seeing what's going on, they go off a little to no proof whatsoever. It's almost all they need is an allegation and is not innocent to proven guilty. It's already guilty until proven innocent. That's 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 what we gotta understand first and foremost. Um, when I read or looked over this uh, young man's uh, past, I said, and I I was taken back over a backpack. Now, the thing that really took me was not only was they taking this man's life over a backpack, not giving him a trial. Then at the same time, they put him. In a section that don't fit the alleged crime with murderers, um, I mean felons, I mean convicted felons and things of this nature. I mean, he's not, it wasn't like he was in some um, safe place with uh, you know protection and things of that nature. They they set him up. And but are you ever protected when you go to like go to prison? Even if you're in, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm assuming something that's like minimum security. They're going to people be people that try to be tough guys. I mean, every time people go in there, they, you, you're going to look around the room and you're going away and try to see who's who. You're not going to just go in there and uh, be like, you know, certain, you know, you're not going to be the loud mouth dude because you're going to make yourself a target easy. You want to sit around and just, you know, scope the room because you're walking into a whole nother world. There's people out there with true mental illnesses and people that really feel as though wearing their heart on their sleeve is the way to, um, you know, the name of the game. So, nah, is it real protection? Nah, it's one of those things that it got to happen first before someone else react. So, nah, you don't, you don't have no level of protection. Your protection is you reacting either first or um, basically reacting first. <laughs> All right, so give people a, your story for me. Man, I mean... To be real with you, which one? <laughs> I got I got a couple of them. Let me see. So there was a period of time where I remember you went away. This is before everybody had cell phones or everything. You were gone. Uh, me and my boy had no idea where you were. And then I remember uh, he caught up with you, you know what I'm saying, months later, and then got the story. Uh, he said that, uh, funny enough, he saw you in Iverson Mall. I'm assuming y'all both were shopping for sneakers because it wasn't like y'all were pulling women from there. At like mm-hmm. nineteen twenty, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that's the story specifically that I wanted to kind of touch on. At the time, if I remember that, that that particular time, that was when I was uh, messing, you know, messing around, being a young guy, funny, uh, dating an older female, you know, um, not too long out of high school, living life a little bit, and um, decided I no longer wanted to talk to this uh, certain individual based upon, you know. Not me, but in this case, her um, running a little game. Now, I'm thinking it's going to be a simple high school breakup. You go your way, I go my way. I'm thinking, you know, it's over. Uh, what, late, what, what happened later, she um, used that as fuel to 
put a bogus stay away order on me when I went to obtain some of my things from her place of residence. Well, when I went over there to go get some of this, my things, um, I knocked on the door. She wouldn't open up the door. Next thing you know, I'm looking up. It's police everywhere. I'm looking around, I'm looking where the police looking at, like who they after. They yell out my name. I was like, you know, I ain't had nothing to hide, so I'm like, yeah. Next thing you know, they telling me, you got to leave, you got to vacate the premises, this person got to stay away order on you. I'm like, stay away order for what? You know, what's going on? I broke, you know, I, I separated from her. What's going on? Again, she's a, she's a woman who knew the system. I did not know the system. I was uneducated about the system. Well, I ended up walking off saying, oh, the heck with it. I'm thinking, that's it. Well, I am not going to obtain my things. She told her officers all my belongings was hers. And, you know, for me to go ahead and just move on. The officer said, hey, that's a civil suit. I'm like, okay, well, can I just go get some of my things? They said, nope. She said it's all hers. Just simple what she said is hers is like stuck. So I said, okay, well, look, I don't want the headache. I'm going to go my own way. Went my own way. Well, later, um, we went to court and I, the, the judge tried to coerce me into taking the stay away order. He tells me, I'm going to tell you exactly what he said. The judge said to me, I told him I ain't want to deal with her. I don't even want to mess with her, Your Honor. I don't even know why this is out there. There's no proof of anything, no, you know, this alleged, whatever, no abuse, none of that. He tells me, well, if that's the case, won't you accept the stay away order? And then you go your way, she go her way. I'm thinking like, okay, you know, unbeknownst to the fact that you don't want any judgment to ever be placed against you. I didn't know that then. So as a young as a young man at the time, I said, okay, well, I don't have to see her. I just wanted everything over with. I just wanted to go my way. So the judge said, well, just take the stay away order and you go your way. It's not admitting any guilt. You're not going to get locked up. All you have to do is just agree to stay away from her. I said, okay, I'm going to stay away from her. It's all right. Well, on our way outside of the courtroom, she followed directly behind me after the, you know, the judge you know, slammed down his gavel. I thought it was all over. Okay, stay away from her. She stayed away from me. We good. She says to me, now you're going to jail. I did not know what the heck she was talking about. I was like, Yo, what she mean, now you're going to jail? So, you know, I had a family member of mine with me, my cousin. We brushed it all. We kind of laughed at it. You know, kids fun. And we laughed. We giggled like, man, this lady is really crazy. We didn't know she knew the system, had the game plan. They know how stupid the system is, and they're going to use it. People, if anyone got ill intent and they know anything about the law, they're going to use it. So anyway, fast forward. About a couple of months later, I'm in Wendy's. A horn bumped behind me. I looked behind me. It was a police vehicle. He yells my name out through, through the car, using the speakers of the car. Are you such and such? Are you justice? I said, I rolled down my window. I was like... I said, yeah, I'm justice. I'm like, what this dude messing with me for? He tells me to pull out the line. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I think he ran my tags, and he just wanted, he was that hungry. He wanted to get in front of me in the drive-thru. I didn't think that he wanted, it had anything to do with any type of criminal activity because I wasn't involved in anything. So, really, I wasn't up in arms. He pulls me over. He says to me, he said, um, you got a, a warrant for your arrest out. I said, warrant for my arrest? For what? He explained, he said the lady name, and I said, nah. I said, nah, 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 I went to court for this. He said, no, they saying you violated, you got to turn yourself in. I said, I did what? He said, violate. I'm thinking, he said, look, he did cut me a break. I got to give the officer credit on this. He said, look, I'm hungry. I'm not trying to take you in right now. It don't seem like it's that serious. It looked like you have been going to court on this because I showed him the paperwork. I was driving around with the paperwork. So I showed him that I've been going to court on this situation. But the officer says to me, he said, um, make sure you know, turn yourself in or, you know, you might want to go up there because if I bring you in, it's going to look like something else. You know, it looks different if you turn yourself in. And shout out to that cop because, you know, I don't know his name. I'm going to say officer did his job right or officer thanks for doing your job right. And I've been a cruddy officer. And um, I end up saying, OK, well, like any other adolescent, I put it to the side. All right, I get to it. I get to it. I get to it. I'm out on a date, all right? Now, I'm in the park. I ain't supposed to be in the park and all this stuff, but I'm hanging out with a nice little friend of mine. Well, of course, park police, someone pull up, run the tags. They ran the tags and everything. And next thing you know, police everywhere, 
right? I, I forgot about, you know, the whole scenario with that because, again, I'm not no career criminal. I, you know, I'm just like, okay, well, all these police showing up. So I'm going to stop you. You, you, weren't a career, you weren't a criminal. <laughs> like, I won't even say a career. You're not somebody that, you know what I'm saying, we grew up where you weren't selling drugs. You weren't doing nothing crazy, breaking into people's houses. Mm-mm. You were like a playboy that. and, a, you know what I'm saying, when I said class clown, uh, that's probably a bad description. We uh, actually did mock trial together. Mm-hmm. And I remember you were always the person in the back of the room making jokes and shit while we were trying to actually get work done. No doubt. So it's like from that, you were always that guy. Like, fun. Fun. Yeah, you didn't do anything. You were just fun. But please, continue. Yeah, yeah. And, you, you know, don't mean no ill, no, no harm to no one. Well, the officers end up telling me, you got a warrant out for your arrest. Boom, it all hits me. I said, oh. And I, you know, I started speaking to the officer about it. I said, someone told me about whatever. He said, well, look, I, I got to take you in. I said, okay. You know, I'm thinking, you know, nothing of it. Well, they end up locking me up, and they end up holding me. Now, again, no proof whatsoever. All this is based off an of allegation. While I was in, I'm trying to find out what in the world am I being charged with. And this is a real charge. You're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. What I was held under. First of all, I'm a jump about two spaces full. I was placed in a felony unit. All right. I was placed in the worst unit, like where the career criminals are. I was in there with murderers and rapists, the area that they placed me in. Now, at this time, I still didn't know really what my charge was. But once you get locked up, locked up, they had something called a docket. So when they hold you know, uh, inmates in like the county jail or whatever like that, and you've been held wait, awaiting trial or whatever, they had something called a docket. And on that docket, it has information as far as your bond and your nature of your charge. Now, you ain't gonna, you ain't gonna believe this, but the nature of my charge was telephone misuse. What does that mean? <laughs> That's what I said. Like, straight so, up, like, what does that mean? Like, well, I mean, when I, when I, once I had it explained to me, telephone misuse is pretty much something like if you threaten someone over the phone, if you, you know, you know, uh, you know, want to give someone type some form of bodily harm or whatever like that. It, I think it falls right under that category, telephone misuse. Now, what happened was as far as when the judge coerced me to accepting this um, stay away order. Well, all she had to do now at this point is say, with no proof whatsoever, hey, this guy broke the uh, law or he broke the uh, the agreement. He came around me. No proof whatsoever. But in her case, she said I called her job. Now, you wouldn't believe where she worked at. She worked for Andrews Air Force Base. And I know for a fact that those folks or those people there have to have caller ID, something to prove that this so-called alleged telephone call happened. It occurred. So, you know, I'm scratching my head through this whole little scenario. I was in fights. I, um, you know, had to watch my back. I had to become one of them. And that's real talk. And when I'm looking at this... This uh, Khalifa story, and I see when he was talking about doing push-ups, he's trying to get bigger and stuff like that. You know, I read his little biography and him trying to, you know, get himself bigger and stuff like that. And all the battles he had to go through in, in jail. Here it is. I'm an innocent man. I'm in there. Next thing you know, all, if you want to survive, you got to be like one of them. That's hands down. So you're going to lose some sense of humanity, so to speak, because now you got to do what you think is the way to do things because it's, it's about survival now. You're taking away from society and placing an area where whereas a lot of people who deserve to be in there and maybe some folks who don't deserve to be in there all thinking one thing, survival. So, um, man. not too many things give me pause, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I listen to that and I think that's unfortunate. I really want to say this happened when we were like 19. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? About 19. Um, what led to you eventually getting out? And, and about how long were you in for? It, um, I was locked up for a little bit more than three months. Um, what led to me getting out, 
uh, thankfully, I had my family, and I looked at you know Khalif case. He had to do a public defender, and I'm not saying public defenders are the worst, but I'm gonna say one thing about it. It's a shame that you get what you pay for. So if you pay for nothing, guess what's gonna represent you? So I'll say this: one of my friends is a public defender. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that they're bad attorneys. I think that in a lot of cases they're overworked, and because of that, and this is the unfortunate part. Um, if you happen to have less resources to fight certain things, you're more likely to go to jail or spend a bunch of time in jail. No doubt. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times, a lot of these things, like I think even with the Khalif Browder thing, if his family could have raised, I think it was like $1,000, $2,000, he never would have spent time in jail. But because they were poor and they didn't have it, he ended up spending three years of his life without getting like uh, bailed out or bond. Um, his bond was like three grand. Three, three grand isn't worth three years. I'm going to tell you something. You know, they, they want you win, and I'm going to say it because it's a profit. They win all the way around. And to, our, and to our people, we don't really see the impact that it has. See, like I said, you don't know what happens once the bracelets go on. Once the bracelets go on, you got a record that's going to follow you. Either you did it or you don't do it. If you did or didn't do it, you got an arrest record. Then you got to fight to get that expunged. Then they have the right to bring it back up if they choose or so desire. At the end of the day, what's going on even with this or what went on with that young man? He was set up, man. I mean, it, he just fell into a system that a lot of people went into. When I was reading his story, I found out that less than 3% of the actual felonies went to trial. Yeah, everybody please out. And everyone please out. Exactly. They keep throwing these plea bargains at you because they're going to hold you and you're going to be in this crazy environment. And I've read also like 90 something percent of the people took plea deals of guilty. They want you to say that you're guilty because once they tag you with that felony, they got you. They got you for your natural life. They got you because that's a felony. You can't shake that. So what we do is we put you in this this box. We, 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 we string you along. We don't give you no type of resources. We know that you don't have, you know, the, um, the available resources for you to be properly represented. And then, boom, we got you. It's nothing he could have did. I mean, at the end of the day, it's nothing that young man could have did. They, he, was in, he was in a system that's very designed, not just in New York. This oh, system everywhere. goes. Yeah, I'm in D, we're in D.C. We're in the DMV. And I'm going to be real. That, that same system is out here, too, as well. And we're too busy. We're too busy playing tug of war, you know, inside of our homes as far as, you know, the mothers and fathers or the boyfriends and girlfriends. And we're playing tug of war, whereas there's laws being passed. We're not at our state legislative office. We're not right there um, looking at the politicians. We're too busy trying to just keep our home quiet, you know, and then knowing that. If we're in a, uh, an argument or something don't go a certain way, all it takes is one phone call and you can hijack someone's life completely. So you have mentioned that uh, your family um, had the wherewithal, I guess, to pay for an attorney to get you out. Kind of explain that a little bit. I mean, it took three attorneys. Um, they, 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 they went to an attorney. My, my family wasn't satisfied. So my family went and got another one. Then got another one. So what we found out. Um, it was a violation of my uh, uh, habeas corpus, if I'm remembering it. Habeas um, corpus? Habeas corpus. I think that was one of the things we had to deal <laughs> yeah. with back when we was in school. So it was a violation of that. And um, they ended up switching it, I think, from a, a circuit court to a district court and things of that nature. Next thing you know, back by the boom, I'm out. Um, I still had to go to trial, but I was able to make bond. They had me under no bond, meaning that Bill Gates himself or any, I don't care if you're the richest person in the world, no one can get me out as if I was that tough of a criminal with no criminal history. I was under no bond. Now, I'm going to show you how significant that is. The people that I was locked up with, remember I told you about that docket? Sure. That, um, that all the, you know, that's inside of the um, unit when you're locked up, that everyone can see your bond, they can see the nature of your charge. Everyone can see it. I had people in there, rapists, murderers, with $250,000 bonds, you know, uh, $100,000 bonds. And if you, if you get a bills bonds, man, all you got to do is pay a percentage of that. So you don't even have to pay the whole, so, yeah, you, you, pay you know, the whole two hundred fifty dollars to $300,000. You don't even have to pay that. All you got to do is pay a percentage of it. Yeah, I don't you know. Pay 10%. It, yeah. 10%, right. 
So they had me under no bond, meaning I'm worse than them. Again, let's go back to the nation of my, my charge. Telephone misuse. So I just looked that up, right? Uh, telephone misuse in Maryland. Here's essentially what it is. Uh, a person may not use telephone facilities or equipment to make an anonymous call that is reasonably expected to annoy, abuse, torment, harass, or embarrass another. Repeated calls with the intent to annoy, abuse, torment, harass, and embarrass another. Now, here's what it also says. If you're found guilty of that, this is a misdemeanor, and you're supposed to be in prison for- Three to five years? Yeah, not exceeding three years, mm -hmm. plus you get a fine of $500 of both. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that you spent three months in jail for something like this, is, again, this is beyond ridiculous. Um, that goes to kind of speak to the criminal justice system where I think- the term specifically speaking about Khalif Browder, if he would have accepted or lost his case, still in the backpack was a 15 year crime. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I don't care if like, unless he pulled out a gun on my man and shot the dude and then took his book bag, 15 years is a long time for a book bag. And, if, like, and I'm not saying that anybody should ever be hurt, but I think this is one of those situations where it bothers me that the criminal justice system tends to over-criminalize or over-punish people. Where's the sense of uh, trying to, like, you know, recidivate somebody or, you know, just rehabilitating you? If you did this in 19, let's say you went to jail for three years. Think about all of the stuff that you missed out for the last three years. You don't, you know what I'm saying? You're not in school. Uh, if you're going to decide to have a trade or something, you're nowhere in your career. Now you get out, you have a felony on your record that you have to disclose when people are like, oh, have you ever committed a felony? It makes it 10 times harder, if not more, for you to get a job. I don't know if that's necessarily the way that we approach this and we keep doing these things, specifically to like, you know, people who are underprivileged or from underserved communities. Um, it's a fact that people who are poor get, you know, policed harder because they live in crime areas. You know, money follows crime. So there are more police there. So if, you know, we can live in a nice neighborhood now, you never see cops, ever. If it was a situation where it was a bad neighborhood, you're more likely to see cops. They're more likely to have interactions with you. And you get locked up, you know, for petty crimes that you probably wouldn't even worry about. Like all of the kids that got weed charges and all of that kind of craziness. Um, you don't get that when you live in nice places. They tell you go home. They tell your parents. Or if they do give you a charge, your parents had the money to fight it. So it's super disappointing to hear that kind of stuff happen, especially to somebody, you know, I personally know um, mm. and how we can kind of tie this all in. So, uh, I mean, I mean, I know I rambled a little bit. Um, one of the things I'll ask you is kind of what did it take for you to kind of get back to normal after having this kind of process play out? And how did you kind of manage? Because clearly you have your life together now. Mm. But at the time, like, how did you deal with all of that? Well, I'm, I'm going to be real with you. You know, um, once you're in there, you have to, uh, it's a, like I said, survival of the fittest. If one person punk you, you got 20 people watching, you know. So in my case, I had to head Huncho say a couple of words in my direction Um just, I guess, even though he's trying to build his credit or whatever like that, but he said something in my direction. And the first thing that played in my head said, oh, man, I was like, I'm going to have to take this one out. Because I already knew in my mind, you got 20 people watching. If you don't handle that issue right there, you got 20, you got 20 other problems that's going to come the next day. But did they know you were a fighter? No, they didn't know. <laughs> I, think, I think that right there um, really threw a lot of folks off because my element of surprise. I'm going to be real. I'm not... I don't look like I'm built for tough. I look like I'm a soft marshmallow. You hey, know, you a light skinned dude. <laughs> yeah, so, I'll be sure, bro. So, but the, but the light skinned dudes gotta understand we have been tested for so long, and then coming up through the neighborhoods that we came up in, you know, I ain't just turned light skinned yesterday. So I've been light skinned all my life, meaning that I'm constantly reminded of that. And I have to constantly remind them that, you know, I, my bones are strong just like your bones are strong. Hey, wait, like, I'm going I'm to digress for a second. Light-skinned dudes got a lot of love in the 90s. We so, did. Like, what kind of drama did you have? All the women like light-skinned dudes. Nah. It wasn't until, like, the 2000s nah. when dark-skinned and brown-skinned nah. brothers see, started coming see, in. See, I was a different light-skinned. When I was a, I had, I had weight on me. You know what I'm saying? So, okay. so coming up, I was, I was called Santa Claus. You know, so... <laughs> 
You know, I had my classmates sit on my leg in the middle of June telling me what they want for Christmas. So I was a different kind of um, light skin. But that wasn't you at 19? Oh, no, nah, like 19, I started finally, you know, I shared the weight, you know, the, the baby fat fell off a little bit, you know, and at that time, you know, I'm, I'm a kid in the candy store now, you know, so, you know, you know how it is when your, fam- your, your parents no longer regulating how much candy you could eat, what you going to do? Yeah, you go crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're going to reach for handfuls, right. and that's what I did, I reached for handfuls, um, but, hey, at the end of the day, man, you know, we coming back as a as a uh, a people black is black, you know, and um, <laughs> you know I see myself as a brother who's been through it. You see, I'm trying to grow facial hair as as nappy as all outdoors. They call me patches at work sometimes because I can't get it all to grow in at the same time. But um, we 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 have to understand one thing about this whole system thing. And I'm gonna get I'm gonna, and getting back to this topic. It's not built for us, man. You know and. Until you, a lot of folks understand that the powers and the politicians and the people that we address, that at the end of the day, is really not built for you. That's it, point blank, period. Ain't no, you know, I don't get this, I don't get that. I get it. I'm not one of you. That's, 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 that's be frank. I don't care how friendly we want to be with them or how frank, I mean, how, how equal we want to be with people. We not seeing equal in the law eyes. We are not seen equal. Now, we have made strides. Don't get me wrong. We have made a lot. The, 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 the fact that we can sit here and talk today is on the blood of our great leaders that passed away. And I'm going I'm to put Khalif down there as one of our great leaders that passed away, that paved the way. It could be a step. It could be two steps. It could be a mile. But So is that class-based or race-based? Both. I'm going to say both. So I'm not just going to go solely on race because, you know, you got in areas where it's, you got um, other races, too, that are um, taken back, but some more than others. You know what I mean? If we're making up uh, only 12% or 13% of the U.S. population, but yet we're aired on TV more than 600% of the time of committing the crimes, you got to see what's really going on, you know? But I'm going to say that while I certainly think that race plays a big part in it, and I'm not ignorant of that, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's more about class plus race. Because of the social economic status of people who happen to be poor, also happen to be black, they get it 10 times worse. Because again, from the most part, we come from regular middle class neighborhoods. You know what I'm saying? They might be like lower middle class, but we're not necessarily coming from, you know, the projects or we lived out in shacks and stuff. If we lived down south, that wasn't really our upbringing. Hold on. You're talking about your upbringing or mine? I'm talking both of ours. I remember your mom had a townhouse when we was in, in high no, school. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got I to gotta give you a little uh, background story right here. Um, I'm from the south side of uh, D.C., you so know, up there in the call, on call place area, um, right by, not too far from Eastgate. If anybody know about D.C. area, they know about Eastgate, uh, Simple City, and listen to the word Simple City, and people thought simply out there. And um, I'm going to be real, uh, gunshots was my lullabies. Um, fighting but at what every point day. did your moms move away from that? Drugs, everything. Now, my, when my moms moved, she didn't move with us because we couldn't afford to live together. You see, we 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 split up. Um, uh, my younger brother he had to go live with my aunt. Me, I had to go and live with my dad in Maryland. That's when I met you going to um, okay. Potomac. Okay. So when I went to Potomac and we met, basically we was evicted. Coming out of Southside, we couldn't even afford to live there. Okay. So I couldn't even afford to live in the hood. Okay. So once I, I moved with my my father, um, you know, he had his own little thing going and things of that nature, and I never lived with him before. You know, he stayed, he come to the house, you know, a little bit, you know, back and forth. It was never a solid thing as far as I can remember. But my dad always had his own, you know. Um, but no, my upbringing. You know, I've seen things, heard things, witnessed things. My first porno was out in my back window. You know, that's my first porn I seen. And too bad <laughs> like that the chick funny. was yeah, I'm ugly. I'm okay. Funny, right, look, I know. Look, look you, okay. You said you know how I am. Yeah. Chick, man, she ain't had no teeth. She ain't had. <laughs> look, I don't got nothing wrong with nobody who got snag a mouth. But at the oh, end of the man. day, I seen the worst stuff, man. She ain't had no teeth. She was bobbing for apples. She was agreeing with the dude. And you know, like I said. I, Crackhead, man. I'm gonna be real. It was a crackhead getting it in. Okay. So 
I seen these things outside my window. So nah, middle class for me, when my mom moved in a townhouse, you understand that happened after high school. You see what I'm saying? We already graduated. So I still was living with my aunt. When we graduated, I was still living with my aunt. I wasn't staying with my mom. Okay. My mom was staying with her sister. Okay. You dig? So my mom was sitting there on her grind trying to get her money up, you know, scraping her money together so she can put down for a house because she had her mm-hmm. sister step up and say, okay, look, we're going to take care of your, your, you know what I'm saying? We got your son here and there. My mom, she paid him some money to you know, look out for us or whatever like that. So we had it bad, man. So your story is pretty similar to the Khalif Browder's then. So, like, again, I've known you for 20 plus years and I didn't know that. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's one of the things and why, again, I wanted to talk to you about this, where <sighs> it's fortunate that that situation that happened with you didn't keep you in the system or kind of, you know, put you down a path that you weren't able to recover from. Now, how did that happen? All right. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I understand. I read about, you know, even his attempted suicides and things of that nature when he, you know, once he got out, um, you know, even though it was saying like he was making strides, he was doing good in his community college, he went to community school, right. things of that nature. And I, you know, well, people got to understand, jail messes you up. I mean, it, it, it does affect you mental. And I think mental health, because you can't physically see it on a person, we don't think it exists. But anyone who ever been raped, abused, anyone who has been taken advantage of, they know how it feels from that pain from the inside out. You know, and it's invisible to the world. So what happened to him was invisible to the world. I completely understand what happened to him because when I stepped outside of that um, jail, when they released me, I had so much anger. And I'm going to be real with you. I was never thinking about harming this lady or wanting revenge. But when that happened to me, okay, now those thoughts started to creep in my head because now I'm like, hold on. I I had to drop out of school. I I did have, I had to drop out of school. I was going to school, you know. Um, I was trying to better myself, you know. I wanted to be an attorney and things of that nature. But when that happened to me, I had to stop for a minute and I said to myself, if I do this or if I allow these thoughts to consume me, then at the end of the day, I'm not helping nobody. I'm I'm hurting my family. I may have a brief moment of of um, comfort, but at the end of the day. I'm going I'm to play, play it different. Let me see how the system thing plays out. So I decided, okay, let me see if the system going to play it out properly. So, um, now nah, I just I went on and um, walked my way, um, took it to court, took it to trial. Again, thank, thank goodness for uh, the attorney that my family was able to afford. And um, my dad, he jumped in it. He, he put some dollars towards it. And this attorney, he fought for me. It wasn't a hard job. It wasn't a hard job. You know why? Because it was zero proof. Where's the phone call? Where's the phone records? But yet, they had enough to put me in a felony unit where my life and my mental health was now in that jeopardy. Oh, man. Like, just hearing that, um, it's, it, it's heartbreaking uh, because I'm able to put a, an actual face to it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We've certainly spoken about this. But what we haven't done is spoken about it kind of in depth like this. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, one of the reasons why I definitely appreciate you having this story and having this conversation, you know what I'm saying? Because I think it's important to realize that there's a lot of shit that happens out here. And it's a lot of ways specifically for young African-Americans to kind of get caught up into something. And then it ends with them being put in a situation where they never recover. Now, somebody looked at you right now. Um, at 35 years old, you, to be f- totally honest with you, you wouldn't have known that you went to jail when you were 19. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, good job. You've been working at the same place for, I don't know. 10 years, like, 10 plus. You, you know what I'm saying? Well, like, it's about to be 10. I'm sorry. Yeah, Coming you know up on my 10 like, anniversary. You're in well into your career. Mm-hmm. Um, respectable dude. Again, got their uh, own business. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, my mom has never known that about you. And she's always just like, hey, baby, how's your friend Justice? He mm-hmm. was always so nice. And I'm like, 
If only you knew. Just is crazy, but he's good. He's real <laughs> hey, good. crazy, crazy, not crazy. Like I'm gonna hurt people. Crazy. Right. I, I'm crazy as far as I, I do believe what I believe in, and I'm willing to go to the end of the world for it. And, you know, my family and my loved ones. I am a protector for my family and my loved ones. Um, but you know, I like to have fun. Who doesn't? You know, life is a beautiful thing, and you know, sadly enough. Like when in in the Khalif uh, in this uh, Khalif situation, he wasn't able to come out of it. You know, he 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 endured way more than I did. See, I only endured three months. That was the longest segment did of my life. You were going to like solitary? Did I go on solitary? Yeah. No. Okay. See, I didn't go on solitary. So that's a whole nother level. Right. That's a whole nother level that that young man had to go in go go through. That's ultimately what broke him. Um. Anybody will kind of say, uh, there's a certain amount of time that you can spend by yourself as a human before. Mm-hmm. You know, everything just kind of just goes all to shit. Excuse my language, but like you lose your mind. I'm real thankful that that wasn't a situation that happened to you. Um, but even that is that humane with like with all of the information that we know about human psychology. Um, is that something that we should be doing to people as a form of punishment while they're locked up in jail? Um. Well, you know what? You got then, then that's when the victims come into play. You got to ask the victims this question for those who, you know, want to seek justice and want to seek um, some type of uh, redemption from um, what, what took place in their life. But again, we're going to go with alleged first before convicted, truly convicted. You know, with this, this young man, should he be showering? Should he be sleeping next to convicted killers? Or, or alleged killers? Should he be around murderers? 16 years old? Am I right about his age? Did I get yeah, his age? I think he was 16 when he went. Six, 16 years old, having to sleep and shower with grown men that's disgruntled. I was going to say, wasn't he in the juvie unit at first? You know, um, I, I don't know if he was in the juvie unit at first. I know that he was on probation and they try to use that to hold him. Okay. Okay. Now he went through probation, to my understanding, on a whole nother uh, case scenario, a juvenile type scenario. When he was younger, they used that to hold him. Now his partner or friend, who else was alleged in this whole little um, meticulous crime, was free. They let him go. Right. They held on to him because, um, to my understanding, he was on probation. Yeah, he had a prior. He had a prior. Right. So no, the way it's designed is designed to treat you like an animal. And that's what they did to the young fella. And we lost. We gained. But at the same time, we lost because he came out with a 3.5 GPA. 3.5 GPA in school. So for this man to come out, go through what he went through, got his GPA. And I was reading he was going one. He was walking one hour one way and one hour back when he got out so that he can, you know, get his GPA or whatever. This don't sound like to me somebody who wanted to be destructive to society. They say he went to court multiple times, maintained his innocence, even after years of being in. He maintained his innocence. They offered him a plea deal like they do everybody else, the other 96%. Right. At some point, you don't get tired. Day. Yeah, if he would have went home that day, if he would have taken a plea He day. was stronger than a lot of the men that's in it. The grown men, a 16-year-old, he, was, he knew his innocence. He stood by his innocence. And he was like, even though it was taking years off his life and he didn't see the larger impact of it at that particular time, he, he stood his ground. And the judge even tried to coerce him like they coerced me. Hey, we'll let you go. All you got to do is just, you know, it's like dangling that curtain in front of you. Hey, the door right there. We'll let you out right now. And he said, you know what? No, I want to prove my innocence. I still want to take it to trial. I read in it that they that some of his inmates, or when he went back to the um, prison, Rikers, they the inmates was calling him stupid. They said, "Man, you dumb." They was gonna give you a cop, you know, give you a plea, and you can go out and you know leave or whatever like that. This man was like, "Nah, man, I'm innocent." But you know, one of the things that was big on him, uh, his his older brother, actually had had a situation happen where. He, it was basically, uh, a, um, I guess a girl alleged him of rape. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, older brother was like, hey, it was consensual. We just ended up hooking up. I didn't rape her. He took the plea deal so that he wouldn't go to jail for a longer period. They were like, you know, we kind of got you dead to rights. You raped this girl. If you cop this plea, you'll do this. But then he saw kind of the fallout from that where his brother wasn't able to get a job. 
there were so many negative things and like this, you know, the sex stereotype. offender got a right. He was all the sex offender. Yeah, he had a lot yeah, of shit going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. so because of that, that's one of the things that gave him the strength to say, like, you know what? I didn't do this mm-hmm. because of that. There's no way mm-hmm. that I'm pleading guilty. I don't know if in that situation that would have been something that I could do. Mm-hmm. I'd love to say, yo, I'm a hold up for the good fight. I didn't do it. But if they dangled the carrot in front of me and I could go home that day, I don't know how I'm turning that down. I think that's one of the things that's kind of amazing about this young man is that he was able to kind of stand on that mm-hmm. and to stand for something. And that's kind of the lesson that we learn from all of this. Um, it's kind of twofold. You see just how systematically wrong everything was about the system that happened to him. Um, I think they're up to episode four in the Jay-Z documentary mm-hmm. that's been coming on about this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the judges that they interviewed um, they asked her why the case had passed through her court so many times where, you know, the prosecution was just like, hey, we need another day. We need another oh, day. Oh, they kept pushing it back. Right, 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 right. right. Mm-hmm. And her thing was, I don't know. And that's just it. All of these people are mad culpable with this. Like, you know what? I'm trying to push my career. If I get you convicted, I think you're just a knucklehead. Whether I know the situation or not, unfortunately, we're going to look at you as a certain kind of person. You are a knucklehead. Because you're a knucklehead, this might not have been a crime that, you know what I'm saying, you did, but you did something else, so we're going to get you for this. It's it's essentially O.J. Simpson. I'm going to tell you something, man. Can I give you something, though? Go for it. We helping them out, though, with our music videos. We help them out with the way that we dress. We help them out the way that we act in public on subway, state subways. I'm sure you, you rode the subway and you just see some of these kids out here acting unruly. But we help people this when out. we were younger? And huh? I, I hate to be old man like Darrell. Did we do this when we were younger? You know what? When we were younger, we didn't do it. You know what I'm saying? We were too busy laughing and joking. But it's like the, the, the generation that's coming. And we did have, a, we did have our rappers. We did have the people that were saying, you know, we did have our gang banging music and we did wear our pants down. We did have our brief period, too, that we you know, some of us in our generation wore their pants down. We was doing we was wilding. We was wilding. They took it to another level, but we were wilding, too. Um, so I feel like our music was more violent than the music that these kids are listening to now. Like all these kids now just want to listen to music and, you know what I'm saying, get high. Like, you hear Travis Scott, you hear Future, they're rapping about drugs. And I'm not talking about selling, they're talking about drinking something, or popping pills, or something like that, where it wasn't nothing for a rapper that we listened to to be like, I'm going to shoot you in the head, I'm going to kill your man and your, your daughter and all of these people. Yeah, yeah. And we were like, yo, yeah, this is hot, son. Yeah. I don't think the kids are doing that right now, but the kids seem to be way worse off in terms of how they act. Where they're mad unruly on like if we're on the subway. Like, here's my old man moment. I'm minding my business and you see kids that look like Chief Keith that's acting all crazy. And you're like, yo, what y'all doing, man? Like, I was too scared to act like this around adults. We might curse and everything else, but when we were around adults, they didn't hear that shit from us. Nah. I mean, well, here's the thing though. You know, we got further and further away from allowing the village the village to raise our kids. We got further away from that. You know, whereas we had folks, you know, even though they were kind of prehistoric and was becoming extinct, will probably try to correct us. Like, hold on, young, young men, y'all don't do that. I want y'all to sit down. Y'all don't need to do that. So we had a little bit of that. A new wave came in where don't touch my child, don't say nothing to my child, you know. And that child never saw any repercussions for what they're doing. Whereas a lot of people have a sense of entitlement. You know, I'm old this, I, I'm old that, I can do this and I can do that. You talk to these kids and they sit here and start jotting down chalkboard laws that you didn't even know existed. They thinking, oh, I sue you. They don't even know no attorneys. You know, these kids is like, I can do whatever I want. And they want us in that state of mind because we're no longer a threat to the system. We're not a threat to, you know, the way that this whole design, this the design that's made up. We no threat to it because we too busy Worried about our freedom of speeches and stuff like that. You know, all I'm going to say is before us, they was, they was really speaking action. They got tired of talking. So what's some of the things that we could potentially do? Or what does this story um, kind of give us as a moment that we can use to move the conversation forward? I know a lot of times we talk, uh, we don't really take action. But what can we do? I don't want to keep seeing stories like this play out. 
where people are, you know, kind of unjustly held for something or, and I'm not saying that the justice system in general is bad. Like I ain't really advocating for that, but there's clearly something wrong when these situations tend to pop up way more often than not. I mean, you know what? I'm going to tell you, first and foremost, you got to practice what you preach. If you, if you, you know, and then when we say the justice system, I'm going to be real. I have family members that's in the justice system, you know, law enforcement and things of that nature. But I'm going to keep it real with you like I keep it real with them. I'm not for, you know, hate all cops and stuff like that because, you know, family members of mine are, you know, officers of the law and putting their lives on the line every day. But at the same time, if you see wrong being done. And you not speaking up. If we did it, we we looked at it as an accessory to a crime or we're a conspirator to a crime. But this this blue line that they got going on here, this I don't have to say anything or I won't say anything type thing. When you see crime being committed within your own ranks, within your own station, that to me is a gang mentality. And so a lot I'm, of folks I'm know super, this. Yeah, so I'm 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 super Black Lives Matter. Um I know one of my boys that's an officer gets on me about this. Uh we talk about it all the time. But I can't put this all on the police and like their code of being um, kind of like the blue wall of silence. Like, I think it's deeper than that. Like, everybody has a clique that they stick with. I think the bigger problem tends to be look at how a prosecutor, if it, let's say, I don't know, you stole some gum from a store. They hit you with like four charges just to say that you stole gum from a store. So after they add up all of these charges, you got mad time for something that's super petty. And a lot of the times, like they built all of these laws that they can kind of cascade on one another for real criminals. When they were, you know what I'm saying? They had gangsters. Al Capone has multiple charges and racketeering and all of that stuff. A lot of these things, like you literally, like anytime you break one law, you generally break like four. This is where I think our bigger problem lies. We're probably over criminalizing so many things. And then even on top of that, what about trying to like rehabilitate these kids once they've done some shit? That's the real like that's the real beef. We don't rehabilitate anybody. Who's gonna rehabilitate them? I don't know. Like, they don't learn in jail no more. And I'm not even saying that that's a way, but like there's none of that now. It's like, yo, it's a business. Hey, go sew these bras from Victoria's Secret for like two dollars per bra. Hey, come out here and go, you know what I'm saying, clean up this trash for the, the, um, for the county that you live in so we get free slave labor. Hey, why don't you do this other thing where you're hammering out um, license plates or something? That's what the, they have people in jail doing. That's where a lot, of, like, a lot of times this becomes a jobs thing. We always talk about the economy and everything. We get a bunch of like, free labor based off of like, people that are in prison. True. Okay. I got you. So what's the incentive to stop that? And to say, you know what, your life is worth more than just some free labor for some shit. I'm, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, you know, you gotta. It's it's in the politicians that we address. Is you know, we gotta actually become the politicians. Let's stop talking about others and start getting out there and running for office. We not running for office. Stop putting our faith in someone that made me. You know, that, that's trying to say the right things when you know what's right, if you experienced it. And the way they got it designed, like, let's say Khalif, in his, even in his story, the way they had it designed, you know, they had it designed so that he can catch a felony and carry this felony. He ain't going to be able to hold public office. You're right. You know, um, he ain't going to be able to vote, things like that. They using this to snatch away your rights forever. Forever. So you, even though you know of the injustice, you can't really truly speak on the injustice. Like you can speak on it, but you ain't holding no weight. You're right. You ain't signing no bills. You ain't gonna be. You ain't never gonna be in a position to do so. So you're hoping that someone else who never went through with what you went through can carry the carry the baton and execute with something that you not that's not they not even as passionate with it as you are because you've been through it. So at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to run for office one day. I'm going to be honest with you. You know I'm running, right? You're running for office? I'm dead serious. You know I'm running, right? What you, what you, what you running for? This is my first time. We have a, we have a breaking news alert. What, what, are you, <laughs> what, what, what are you running for? What office are you running for? Honestly, I'm probably going to try to do um, like a state representative first, um, something local in my district, uh, get my name out there, then at some point run for Congress. Not, not lying. I'm dead serious about that. I believe you. I believe you. I went to school with you. I know. I know you. You mean what you say. So, 
you know, we gonna, I look forward to that. I'll be one of your top campaigners, and uh, I would definitely push for him. And uh, I, you know what, man? I, man, I will hold you. You've been outside some of these, um, these, uh, uh, these, these tax areas when they got the dude outside flipping the little sign outside. So you gonna you gonna rotate the sign for me? Nah, I was gonna pay the dude to do that for you. <laughs> 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 but uh, but no, no, I would do what I have to do to get you, you know, elected and things of that nature because I know where your heart at. Your heart is pure and. A lot of folks like that We get caught up in our careers You follow what I'm saying? Like even my career I'm gonna be honest with you I'm blessed I'm truly blessed to be In the government And have things going on The way that I have going on Because I didn't get that felony You know I didn't get those things On my record So I'm blessed I'm blessed that I didn't get that Now I very easily could have been Your Khalif story You know I could have been that person um, Unfortunately he was a sacrificial lamb And what happened And it's sad that when he took his life, the story took off. It was like he was immortalized. You know, it's, it's like, don't nobody really hear you until a certain level of sacrifice almost take place. And I'm sure that po- folks in his family probably was really upset at how he handled it. But at the same time, this, this young man was going through so much. And he couldn't sit down and really talk to nobody because nobody else across from him Understood. went through what he went through. Yeah. You know, and I'm, and I'm coming from a person who brother committed suicide to as well, who spent time in prison for things that I'm not really, you know, at liberty to speak on because I would respect him even in his afterlife. Sure. But at the same time, my brother was... Running around with the kids always gave good words of encouragement, but I saw what prison did to him too, you know. And that's was one thing places he said he'd never go again. He would never go back there. I'm talking about took his life. So I firsthand experienced that. I also experienced a portion, a small portion, of what Khalif experienced. And I'm telling you, that's a that's a, that's a heck of a lot of weight. That's that's heavy. So. I'm going to leave you with the last word with that, right? Um, again, I want to thank Jess for coming through, uh, having this honest and open kind of conversation. Uh, I wish it wasn't that heavy, but sometimes some stories need to be told. If nothing else, we want to save somebody else's life or help them if they're going through something or having a situation. Uh, this has been another episode of The Real World. Uh, feel free to find me anywhere you can get podcasts. I'm at the Google uh, Play Store. I'm on iTunes. I'm on SoundCloud. I'll let you later. We out. Peace.